Hi everyone, welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast, episode 53. I am Colin McFader, joined as always by my co-host, Clark Coffey. How are hey, you Hey, hey. What's up, buddy? I'm doing Not well. Much. It's a beautiful day. It is like a crisp blue sky out there. We've got, and this is rare for where I live, we've got these beautiful white fluffy clouds kind oh, of yeah. floating by. Finally, can, our weather seems to be matching up. Yeah, it's. I can, I'm looking out my office window here and humble brag like the i can see catalina island the ocean looks beautiful oh, nice. yeah, yeah i don't think i ever saw that when i was down there um, yeah i, I, I can't it was still you know a little too hazy but. yeah i forget when you came down when did you come down was it, it summer was, uh, was it? end of july early august yeah so so, yeah. so the yeah we tend to get a little more haze at that time of the year but it rained last night so, oh, there you go, and it kind of cleans it out. Yeah. So, which is why I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, to tattle on myself here. I had to ask Colin uh, for an extra hour uh, today because we had a huge, not a huge storm, but we had a storm come by, and it rained so hard and it was so windy that it woke me up, and then I couldn't go back to sleep for hours. But it was so now the sky is like really clean and whew, yeah. it just is nice. Anyway, I digress. I digress. But the point is, I'm happy to be here to discuss i won't yes take our, away our, your... our little indie film that you know a lot of people might not have heard of called pulp fiction yeah i know um, i mean i i i i love being able to use this podcast as a way to share films that you know people otherwise would never have heard of and yes, uh, yeah. so i'm really excited <laughs> really excited <laughs> to bring this to people's attention but it, this is my choice and i was talking to cullen earlier you know it's like cullen earlier i you know it's it's tough because you know, on the one hand, I mean, now we've definitely picked films that, that I mean, I think E.T. was the first film we ever picked. So, I mean, if there were ever a mainstream film that everybody and their brother and sister have seen, it's that one. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, I, I was torn um, when I picked this film because I was like, well, you know, it, it's been done to death. I mean, everybody has, I mean, this, if there, I, I, there has been more analysis and writing and discussion and debate about this film than almost any film i can think of that's it's just it's i was thinking to myself well what in the world can we bring to the table with this but then i thought well a couple of things i thought well you know is that any reason to not discuss it because the fact of the matter is is that this film for me personally has had a huge impact it was kind uh -huh. of like the yeah. right film at the right time at the right place i was like 18 I was, uh, this came out, I think, in the September or something, I think, of 94. So I was literally just starting college. I was a freshman right. in college. Yeah. And and I was, like, you know, becoming more and more interested in cinema and film. And uh, so this was this, this was kind of like right thing, right time, right place for me. But, but the other thing was, I didn't want to deny that by not talking about it, just because a lot of people have talked about it. But the other thing I thought was interesting, and I kind of want to, keep in the back of our minds as we have this discussion is that I think this is an, a unique uh, situation where, you know, you've got me who was 18 when the film came out and we've got, you and I have a 20 year difference or a mm -hmm. little more than 20 year difference between us. So I'm really curious to kind of compare and contrast what your experience is like with this film, you know, being so far removed from when it came out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Be because I do always think of this film as like, <laughs> very set in a specific time mm -hmm. in my mind in my mind because i always place it in the context of this big movement of independent cinema in america in the early 90s and so i always think of of you know the the beginning of merrimax i think of you know 
Kevin Smith. I think of Sex Lies and Videotape and Soderbergh. I think of you know so much of this. Um, And then I and then I think of like the cottage industry of Tarantino esque films that this birthed, like you know, or this inspired after it. Yeah. And so it it has such a like like it seems so concretely in the 90s for me it seems i mean it seems to almost typify the 90s to me so i'm really curious to kind of see through your eyes a little bit and compare and contrast because you know you saw it in 2005 at seven years of age but i know you've seen it since then too so i'm curious Mm -hmm. you know your your repeat viewings when you were an adult and you know you were kind of able to think you know formulate more complex thoughts about it but so let's talk about that um let me share my like experience with it, and then I mm-hmm. want to discuss yours, and then we can kind of use that to talk about some other aspects of the film, if that's cool with you. Yeah, so, yeah, that works. Yeah. So I've already kind of hinted at a lot of this, but yeah, so you know, it came out in '94. It's hard to overstate for people who weren't around at that time. It's really hard to overstate the hype, the impact that this film had. I mean, it was hugely critically successful. It won won the Palme d'Or. It was nominated for seven. Academy Awards, not only one for screenplay, um, but it just had such a profound impact. I think it made something like 300 plus million dollars off. I don't, you know, what was the budget? I mean, it was maybe 14 million or something like that. 8 million, 9 million, made 214 million off that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, it's definitely, it's a low budget independent film, which I think it's lost in the mix. I think when you watch it, you see how cheaply it was done. And we can talk about that a little bit more. But it's a it definitely an independent film. It was a huge success. And I think it's just hard to overstate, you know, not only did it impact pop culture, I mean, it like became pop culture. I mean, it it, yeah. it, it radically it Yeah, yeah. It was like this it really did. It it And in it, a lot of ways still is. I mean it's yeah. kind of really it, kind of lasted. Yeah. Its longevity is surprising. Usually when you have a film that has that kind of impact and becomes so saturated and uh, a lot of times they don't hold up a lot of times Uh they fade away in time it's like i like here's a good analogy like saturday night fever speaking of john travolta that film had a huge impact it was a major pop culture phenomenon it was an extremely successful film yeah people don't really talk about that film the way they talk about pulp fiction i mean there's a big difference you know in how we look at those two films now but that's just one of many examples so yeah i think it's rare in that sense too that it's actually stood the test of time um but anyway so for me being 18 years of age just going into college being kind of you know my love for cinema kind of growing and maturing uh this film was had a huge impact on me i was blown away by it i hadn't really ever seen anything like it before i hadn't been exposed to a lot of the the films that tarantino references in this film because i'm like a decade younger than him or so i think so a lot of his references come from a time before me but i did love genre films and exploitation films and i watched spaghetti westerns with my dad um and so i kind of understood you know and and like dirty harry and you know uh, some of the film genres that he does kind of explore here i had been exposed to um but the other part that was i think and this and we can talk about this a little more and why this film was so kind of impactful and inspirational especially to people like film students and things was his story of course his story became such a big part of this film's success 
And, uh, and of course, we all know his story now, so I'm not going to recap it in full. But basically, you know, it's, it's Hollywood outsider. Guy, guy comes from kind of nothing. He works at a video store. And, you know, he, he writes his own stuff. He gets to make Reservoir Dogs. It's a huge success. And, and then Pulp Fiction just blows everybody out of the water. And he changes the game. Um, so for somebody who is an Hollywood outsider who wants to make films that can that that looks like a pretty you know they're like wow it can be done you can do it sweet deal <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of my orientation to it what about you i'm really curious about your experience yeah um i mean i was uh yeah so I, I was 7 or so when i saw this movie for the first time um and set the stage for us like like how yeah, how, so how did you I, even I, come I, to see it at 7 yeah i grew up in the in the suburbs uh, yeah. and so you know a lot of sleepovers because you know all your friends sort of live close by and it's just you walk over to their house i'm just imagining this idyllic canadian you know nobody locks their doors right uh, stranger things <laughs> um and i yeah so I, I used to go over to a friend's house um this guy named evan who i kind of you know you have those friends growing up where it's like they're you know his mom was like my second mom and sure yeah his whole family knew me i was at his house all the time and you know um and same with him with me it's like you know my best friend growing up Okay. And um, he had an older brother who always kind of showed us different movies and uh, would like we'd we'd go to Blockbuster. And how old every was Friday. this brother? Roughly he at this time, he was fourteen. About I would okay, say. so not too old. Not yeah. that, but compared to you guys, he might have even been a little bit younger than that. But um, okay. But yeah, we so we we'd, we'd always walk to there was a Blockbuster pretty close to where we lived, and we'd always walk there and, and like rent a movie or a game or something on on the night of our sleepovers mm -hmm. and um so we were there with his brother and pulp fiction was there and i can't remember if he as in my friend evan had seen it before like his brother had shown him but it was either that he had seen it and they wanted me to see it or his brother was like oh i gotta show you guys this movie it's it's you know yeah it's like crazy but and, one way or another it was like somebody there had seen it and they were like you gotta yeah. check this out and so we went home and again, normally it would be a thing where it's like we would kind of rent a movie that we wanted to see and his brother would like watch a movie upstairs. But, you know, this time, of course, we're all in the basement. Mm -hmm. It was probably, might have been, uh, I guess it, it could have been DVD, but it might have been VHS. I can't remember at the time. Um, and so he pops it in and it starts going and it was like so a different from everything I had seen at the time. Because what were you watching at the time? Like what would have um, been... Like your, like the the palette of your film, you know what would like? Let's give us an average. Like what would you have watched with your buddy? I mean, I I liked like a on lot a sleepover. Of, I liked a lot of Hitchcock, um, but my friends. <laughs> so at didn't. seven, you were watching um, Hitchcock and a my sleepover. My dad, well, because my dad was a big Hitchcock fan. But so that's not what you up. were watching when you went to go stay over at your buddy's no, house. No, probably was it? Spielberg. Probably like something Jurassic Park or okay. Or, War Blockbusters or one of his like you know media okay. minority report or something like that um, okay so like current big blockbuster Spielberg -y. yeah okay yeah. um and so yeah so this kind of I just remember watching it and, and immediately feeling like I could never tell my parents that I watched this movie like it seemed so <laughs> beyond and like you know just I think just mostly not even because again and we'll get into this in a, were you in a shocked bit, like were, were not, you not, do you have any moments where you were just like mouth agape were there any like can you remember I think, any of those? I think it was it was more just that it was so different okay. that I felt so like not this, the violence like, specifically no or the no language it wasn't, I because I'd seen you know I'd seen violence before and, and okay. stuff like that but um I well sure you grew up in Canada just like in the, the suburbs 
Yes, yeah, it's a it's like Mad Max out here. Um, I think I think it was the just the way the movie was like how they were talking and how it was yeah. directed and and just the um, whole thing. There was drugs and things like that. And oh it's, yeah, it's like you know you just get this overdoses this feeling of like like I don't even know what any of this stuff means. Um, <laughs> well, you're seven, and, and it would so you're be kind weird of, like, if I remember you did. Just kind of sitting there and watching it and. The you know the the Z scene and you're sitting there oh oh like, god like, I, I forgot don't know. About, like yeah. you have no idea what's happening but you're kind of like okay <laughs> you're like why is that um, man in a leather suit why yeah, are there exactly. red balls why are there red balls in their mouths <laughs> and, and but I remember really I also caught on to kind of the humor of it all that it was like kind of lighthearted in a way that there's mm-hmm. there's not a, it doesn't you know it's not like a self serious kind of you know drama it was it was also very funny and and you know anytime yeah. something would happen i just would kind of look over at my friend and his brother and see that they were laughing and so i was like okay it's all right for me to laugh i can laugh at this because you know clearly it's meant to be yeah yeah um, and then so that was pretty early again pretty early for me to have seen that movie um but it stood out to you yeah and then okay. I, I don't think i really watched it again until high school um okay early high school i'd say maybe like maybe a late middle school uh but so only a few years um, later then right like maybe what four or five well, years later been, yeah maybe maybe okay s- probably six or seven and um, and what did you think of it then you're a little older you've got more film experience under your belt do you have any recollections of this next viewing when you were a little older yeah i mean i think everyone goes through kind of that especially these days um that kind of Tarantino phase. Um, okay. You know, there's like, and I, I teach film, so I know that kids are still going through this because a lot of the kids that I teach, you know, they get to like grade nine and they're really, really into Tarantino. And so... And, and do you find that this is like equal across gender? Or, or is it... Uh, partially. Or is it predominantly I mean, if, 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 boys? If, if it is a... If it is... I think, I think boys, even boys that aren't really into film were really into Tarantino. I don't mean to generalize, but... Uh, yeah, Whereas sure. girls that are really into film would be, but you know, less so girls that aren't into film. Yeah. I was just um, kind of curious. I mean, in my imagination, in my imagination, I would imagine yeah, it's quite a, it's quite that a boys, boys would be more drawn. I, but of yeah. course, again, it's just a generalization and not to say that anybody couldn't be drawn, but just, I, I was curious as to whether you had noticed, did, yeah. you know, um, um, is that the case? But so, okay. So you're, so now so everyone, yeah, everyone kind of gets into But it. did you do that then? Are you saying that um, when you saw of, it I, I, time? I, I wouldn't say that I was as big of a tarantino fan as yeah. my friends were um but what did you think about it then the second time I, let's go back to i that. liked it like i remember thinking that it was really groundbreaking and like it, it kind of picking up on the things that why they impacted me the first time you know what okay like sort of helped me contextualize the type of stuff that um that i just didn't understand when i was yeah. seven. um you know that just even the fact that the move that the film is non-chronological that like Obviously, I kind of understood that at seven years old, but I didn't really get why that was different. I didn't really understand like what, right. what was groundbreaking about that. Um, and so I think I think I really, you know, I would say the style of it too. Just that that was something that really stuck out to me. That that the the like heightened dialogue, and that's why um, again, this was something that you said you hadn't really had a lot of experience for. But weirdly enough, I I've seen you know both in like publications and conversations about like the style of his dialogue and things like that, and being really heightened. I didn't really find, or sorry, um, being really realistic. And mm-hmm. I always thought that it was really heightened. I always felt that it was. Um, but I think, I think the thing is that when you're that age, when you're 20 or, uh, you're in grade nine, 
and you see a Tarantino movie for the first time, I think the fact that the dialogue is conversational in a way mm-hmm. kind of tricks a lot of people into thinking that, oh, it's natural, it's mm-hmm. it's realistic because it's conversational without mm-hmm. really taking that extra leap to go, well, conversational doesn't really mean real. It just means conversational. Right. Not that that's a bad thing. Dialogue doesn't have to be realistic. Um, well, I want to hold your thoughts I, on that. I hold your yeah. thoughts on that for just a second. I, let's fa- I want to fast forward then because I want to kind of bracket your experiences here. But, uh-huh. but, but this is a good topic. I want to come back to it. Let's jump then to watching it now as as an adult twenty something year old person. Um, you watched it, I assume, again for the, this conversation right now that we're having. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what you thought now. So now you know you saw it when you were seven. A totally naive, you know, yes, non cinephile yeah, yeah. person. Having no idea. You see what it, it was, again yeah. at ten or so. So you're still, you know. But but now let's fast forward. You've watched it now. You have all of the breadth and depth of your film experience behind you. You totally understand the context of this film. But tell me what you think of it now, not because ha- you don't yeah. have the you don't have the memory of it in its time and place that I do. I'm really curious about what you think of the film now. So I think I think it was it was easier this time. I hadn't seen this again since uh, I was in first year university. So yeah, I feel like five or so years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really easy for me this time to almost just view it as a movie mm-hmm. and kind of try and analyze it as such. Yeah. As just like, okay, what's the what's the filmmaking like? What's the um and I think that's just because I, I've been so far removed from from like, you know, high school when it's like everything is about Tarantino and, and mm. um, you know, I hadn't seen, I don't think I'd really watched a Tarantino movie in a few years. Um, yeah. Maybe since me and you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the Oh, that's Cinerama. right. Yeah, we did. When, um, that's right. It just coincidentally that yeah. that movie was released when you were here, and we went to go see that at the Cinerama Dome before yeah. COVID hit, and it closed. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Really sad. But yeah. um, but I think that might be the last Tarantino. So I, I think I was, I've been kind of removed, not intentionally, but just haven't really been like in... in in that space, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so it was a lot easier for me to just kind of put it on, watch it, and sort of go, okay, like, what do I think about this? And I, I could see... Like, what did you think? So what was your... Like, I, you were probably watching it... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my guess, maybe you're watching it, like, a little more analytically this time. Yeah. You know, we're going to have a conversation. But but if you can, I mean, I, what was your emotional response to it so now? So I, I think I... I, um, I mean, if my first thought was, it. like, I can see why this is the the like you know every film student's favorite movie yeah you know that it and i can see why this is taught in so many screenwriting classes and things like that yeah um you know and and it deserve deservedly so you know it's 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 a very very unique and and good movie by all metrics um but i also think that that interestingly enough i kind of you know was able to pick out some of the things that i i i don't love about it i find the let's start there i want to start yeah so i mean i think that the um I was real. I was a lot less engaged with the the Bruce Willis storyline. Okay. Um, I found that to be like whereas that was the one thing that I kind of always remembered from it. That uh-huh. This time I found that because the gimp that, thing probably grabbed yeah, you. You're I, like, I what that, is this? I think that this time I was just kind of less interested in that and and found the, you know, Sam Jackson character and I found he's so the, good in that movie. Oh yeah, just great, like, I mean, yeah. he's so great in that. And the the date with Mia Wallace, I thought that that was was you know those are kind of the things that stuck out to me this time as things that I really yeah really liked, um, versus the the you know I think that the 
Bruce Willis story almost leans a little bit into, you know, where Tar- Tarantino would go a little bit later, because of course there's like the the comedy with the weapons and he, he's picking up the baseball bat and the chainsaw <laughs> and then the, the samurai sword. And that's not to say that I don't like that's like that storyline in the movie. Um, I no, but it's just your least, your, your less favorite of the story. It was, it was just, yeah. yeah, it was, I think it more so was just interesting that this time I watched it and I was sort of like, huh, that like that, that part definitely captivated me less. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that it, but I do. Yeah. You know, it's, I also think that I, I always misremember what, you know, how long, like, I always think that the, the Bruce Willis storyline ends the movie. Like, I, for some reason... You forget about that we, we come that back. The, yeah, I guess maybe because it's non-chronological, that's technically is the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I, or I guess not technically, I guess figuratively, it is the end of the movie. Um, and so I always think that, okay, they do the gimp thing and then the movie's over. And I always forget that there's like 35 more minutes after. Yeah, and it's a long know. film. This is yeah. a two and so a half hour two and long and a half, film. Yeah, two, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that that was thing. I think that that's something that really works in the movie's favor is that it's not a movie that unless you've seen it, you know, 10 times, you don't really remember it on each viewing, like, like in terms of like the specifics of the plot. And I always kind of like movies like that. Like I like yeah. watching a movie where I'm like, oh, you know, I forgot. Yeah. I completely forgot about this. Um, that's true. It does. The fact that it's non-chronological. I also think that it's, it's more dense than you kind of think it is. Um, in the sense that, and because I think the dialogue is so enjoyable, um, and the dialogue is so rich, um, in its detail that, um, combined with the, the, the out of chronological order storytelling, I think, you know, it, you can go back and watch it repeatedly and kind of enjoy it again and again. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and the non, like, you know, perhaps it's, um, and I say this not in a negative sense, I think that this word has a lot of, like, charged connotation with it, but I just mean that in, in the most, like, true sense of the definition, that there's, like, obviously a gimmicky aspect to it being out of chronological order. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a gimmick. Um, well, and what, you know, but, I'll just add here, uh, I hear what you're saying. Quentin Tarantino's own words about why it's out of order is, is this, just out, you know, and you may already be aware, listeners, maybe some of you, but just I'll try to summarize, you know, so Quentin's spoken to this, because of course he did this in Reservoir Dogs, uh, he's mm-hmm. done this in a lot of, and you'll even see he says like chapter, you know, or something, and it, what he f- kind of, the way he kind of categorizes what he's doing here is that he feels like, he likes to write, like basically he'd be writing a novel, so yeah. it's my understanding of his writing process that he doesn't write in script format, that he actually writes just in like in a, like you'd write a novel like in just prose he's not sitting there in final draft typing stuff out and so you know i uh, it sounds like he's a well-read person in addition to having watched a lot of films it sounds like he's well-read maybe a lot of that is pulp fiction but who cares you know he's but i think he, he's kind of trying to replicate what he would experience in write in, in reading a novel that yeah. it's a yeah. very common storytelling technique to write out of order of chronological order in a novel and so he's like well why the heck can't you do that in a film this, i enjoy this when i read a novel i like this so i'm going to do it in my films but i agree with you i mean it, it does i don't know if he consciously was like well this is going to make my film different you know, so I'm going yeah. to do that. Or I, I, I mean, I think it's just that, you know, so gimmick, I gimmick, I think is a word that I at least feel like is like, okay, this was premeditated. Like I'm going to try to find a way to set myself apart. Aha. If I tell the story out of order, it's going to set me apart. I think it's just the way that 
like it's an it emanated from him authentically is what i'm trying to say yeah I, and so what i yeah what i what i mean by gimmick i don't necessarily mean again not in a yeah yeah way. i hear you um, yeah because it's obviously it's a charged word you know yeah usually it's used in a negative sense um more so what i meant was that it's it's one of those things where if this film this film doesn't it 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 works really well non-chronologically and i prefer it non-chronologically like I, yeah i don't think i don't think i'd enjoy the movie as much if it was in chronological order but it's not like a a noir movie where you set up some sort of you know thrilling beginning with a question and then it ends ah, with a twist on that it's this like is the, a good point the, the order yeah. of the film doesn't actually necessarily have a payoff yep. story-wise except for you know a little bit of like a you know, you realize they're in the diner at the end. But even that, it's not necessarily something that's like, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah, it's very small. It's just, it's just, you know, they happen to be at the diner at the end. So, well, so you, it's not, and I, but I like it. Like, I actually think that it, yeah. it, it bookends the film really nicely because you're right. kind of sitting there, you almost forget about the diner sequence when you first watch it. And you're like, well, why are, why did we start on that? And, and, you know, where did that go? Um, and I remember, I think the first time I watched it, I remember actually thinking, that and perhaps this was like the most analytical I got, but I remember thinking, oh, that was just to set up the world. Mm -hmm. That was just to kind of set up the atmosphere for this world that we're in that like anything can happen. And that was my takeaway the first time before obviously seeing it at the end to come back. Yeah. But I, I do vividly remember that, that it like cuts away and you don't go back to that. And I remember just sort of thinking like, oh, it was just like an introduction to, and it does work as that too. It kind of works in that way of, of really establishing the tone and the rules for this world that it's like a, it's a heightened kind of, stylized world where anything can happen at any time someone can pull out a gun and, and rob the store that you're in and it, it and it works in that way so there's a lot of like kind of like multi-uses for the fact that it's it's out of you know chronological order yeah um, but it's interesting that it's not yeah it's not it's not necessarily driven to that in a sense of like there's plot payoff um right which, which I, is again, an important not distinction. a bad thing not not a not a criticism yeah and because i don't think his films are are, are generally a, a uh, too much about plot i mean yeah. obviously plot happens but i don't think his films are focused on that so i think that's a very interesting point but i think like i don't i don't know how many people talk about like kind of quentin tarantino's world building but i actually think he does a pretty amazing job of that and and it's fun to see how his films are connected um mm -hmm. and they're connected in really fun ways characters are related to each other from film to film and there's just a lot of little touches uh, that kind of connect every single one of his films. And that might be something as simple as production design, the brand of cigarettes or, you know, but uh, like I said, char characters being related to each other, you know. Um, but uh, but I think within even the film itself, I, I, I kind of, there's something very satisfying to me about this kind of full circle kind of that, that, that everything that's going on in this little world, it's almost like a snow globe or something, that everything is kind of self-contained, that everything is kind of connected in some way, that all these characters are kind of connected in some way, even if they don't know it yet. Um, I don't know why that's pleasing to me, but it is like pleasing to me, you know? Mm -hmm. There's an elegance yeah. to it, I think. And, it's, and it feels kind of like an easy elegance here. It doesn't feel like a forced elegance, at least to me. Um, and, and yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with plot. It has to do with character. And it has to do with um, just this like sense that this is a self-contained story. The characters in it are in this little world. 
and everything they do kind of has an impact yes and and yeah. a consequence to to everybody else and and we're going to kind of see that as we go and we might see that kind of out of order um and so i think there's small little surprises there they're not huge they're not plot related but they're just you know kind of small little surprises uh that i think are really i don't know it's just it's very appealing to my kind of sense of what is elegant in a story you know yeah no i mean that's that's it's again as i said it's it's one of those things that like i kind of want to go back to what you said about um about plot not being the center too yeah which is something that i've really found myself you know very much believing in for the for the past little while and and, yeah. and i think that i think that it, um if i can go on a, a little bit of a, a tangent about like do it do it go film school and stuff like that um which neither of us went to film school but mm -hmm. i know that there's a big you know you you talk to professors and stuff like that and and a lot of you know people who graduated from film schools that like that like okay the plot you have to have like a you know a uh a perfect plot it's got to be you know <laughs> nailed to the ground and it's got to save be, the like, cat three-act structure exactly and there's all this stuff about like yeah three-act structure that that you know you have to read all these rules and this is mm. what this is what and you know you got to know the rules to break them mm. which is you know i guess true to a to a degree but i think that i i really like a movie that that doesn't i guess the way that i'll put it is that you can have a movie with bad plot or, or lack thereof, mm -hmm. um, that is directed to a T, that is, that is a really, really, like, well shot, well, you know, acted, um, just, like, in terms of, like, writing scene to scene, the, the, like, the dialogue, it's great and all that, I would take that over a movie that's poorly directed, sure. but with just, like, a really brilliant plot, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, and I think that that's, that's, kind of what I, I like about this movie is that it's not so concerned with um with you know the it, it kind of almost feels altman-esque in a way mm. um you know mm. we did the long goodbye a while ago mm. um and you know the long goodbye is a movie that like sort of has a very vague plot it's mm -hmm. kind of just like elliot uh, uh good uh walking around and and meeting yeah. people and um not to get off of tarantino but I also noticed that that was, and these these are two filmmakers who are, are contemporary and are very similar. But Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, yeah. I noticed that a complaint about Paul Thomas Anderson's newest movie, uh, Licorice Pizza, which I loved. I thought it was fantastic. Don't tell me, don't tell me anything about it because I've not actually anything, seen it. So not, no spoilers. It's, it's it's very similar. It's yeah. um in in that it's not got plot it's very much about the scene to scene almost yeah, like every like scene phantom thread is, was very much this yeah, way. yeah. And it's like like every scene is sort of more of like an anecdote or a its own little set piece or tableau mm -hmm. that kind of feeds into the larger feel of something but not necessarily the larger overarching plot right you know if you were to ask somebody what is pulp fiction about in a sentence oh you couldn't really give an answer like you could with a Star Wars. Like, you know, right. Star Wars is about a band of rebels who steal plans and have to rescue a princess to blow up a, a deadly right, weapon. Right, right. Um, but this much more you would get into the feeling, and I noticed that, you know, someone who's not very similar to Tarantino on a, on a stylistic level, but you, you get into that with one of my favorite filmmakers, Malick, as well. And I've noticed yeah. that I've been drawn towards these filmmakers recently, um, who, and Michael Mann as well, who I, I love, um, who are more 
concerned with the moment-to-moment feel of their movies, with the moment-to-moment, um, you know, not I don't want to say it like it's like an everyday life sort of thing, like slice of life, because that's not really quite what I'm trying to describe. But right. rather this feeling that um, that conversations don't have to be pertinent to plot. Um, right. that, that you can have, and I think that that's the thing about this, you know, they spend like four minutes talking about cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that kind of comes back up through the movie as yeah. a little bit of sort of like a callback, but it's not like later on, you know, the key to the mystery of like what's in the, the briefcase is, is the big Royale with cheese, ding, 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 Royale ding, ding. with cheese or something. Yeah. Um, and so I find myself drawn to that a lot. I feel I, like I... I, I, hold on, just I just have this total crazy thought. I just imagine, can you? So if like uh, Bruckheimer did this or something, I could imagine at the end of the film there'd be a bomb that's about to go off, and they have to like guess the the password to turn off the bomb, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh my god, what Royale with cheese!" And it like disarms yeah, the bomb it, it disarms, with like yeah. you know one second left. <laughs> okay, sorry. It's to not. It's you. not a movie that necessarily. <laughs> it, it's a movie that simultaneously deals a lot with setup and payoff, but also plays with that trope. Yeah. Yep. In that it like half of the things that are set up don't have payoff. And and it's not in a frustrating way. It's just in a really interesting kind of Or payoff in a different way, kind yeah. of, you know. Or, yeah. or and there there is a lot of and I guess that's what I'm trying to hint at when I say like I, I feel like there really is kind of this just intuitive elegance to this where I feel yeah. first of all I feel and I think we all just as an audience member, you don't have to be a super articulate cinephile or critic to kind of feel this, but you watch a movie and you know, sometimes you'll watch a movie and you'll you'll you just feel like you are in the hands of somebody who really knows what they're doing. And mm-hmm. you can settle in and you trust the filmmaker, you trust the storyteller, and you just go along for the ride. And you're totally able to focus on the the story because you just you feel like you're in such good hands. Mm-hmm. I can't like I would say that is a rarity. Most films that I watch, there's always the like I'm not fully engaged because there's always a part of me that's like, oh, that that was like just a little less than elegant. That that was like I see where they were, I see where the mark they were trying to hit. They got close, but they didn't quite hit it. It didn't. Like, that, that's not mark. a perfectly. Yeah. That's not a perfectly like elegant solution. They didn't perfectly make that jump or that you know. So, but, but in this film, I, I really don't get a sense of any of that. Um, so I, if that, but, but I think this is a bit, I think the, these little setups and payoffs that are, um, uh, that are, in, uh, that are kind of sp- spread throughout the film and they're not huge, right? They don't have to be huge. Often they're just in dialogue or mm-hmm. how, how the characters are sharing the same space and kind of interact later or something like that. Um, but I don't, it's just very satisfying to me. Well, even even with the feature that I made, um, I watching it now. There's a lot of things that I I think I miss. You know, I can I can point out and say yeah. like, oh, you know, well, I didn't learning. quite hit the mark on that that I wanted to. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things that you know, with the next one that I'm writing, it's almost like if you worry less about, um, really writing something to hit a very very specific thing in your head and then try to execute that perfectly whereas what i think this sort of does and what i'm what i've learned from that is that if you write something where you get an idea or a gist of it Hmm. and then on set you work out okay this is how we're going to do it that that can be a more effective way of hitting those marks and i I can see that you know tarantino is obviously someone who 
who likes to work a lot, a lot out on set yeah. and, and, and talk to actors and try things. And, um, and I, what's interesting is that again, um, you know, a lot of people in my generation and, and yours too are really, really inspired by Tarantino and take a lot from him. I've found that I've always sort of not be, not necessarily that I'm not inspired by him, but he's, he's never really hit my, um, you know, like to say if I've had to rank the top 10 directors that yeah. like have really inspired what I yeah. do. Um, that's not to say I don't like them. There are plenty of directors that I, I love that, that aren't, that mm-hmm. necessarily don't necessarily like inspire me stylistically. Yeah. Um, but what I will say also with that though, is that he's somebody that is, is really, really helpful, even though I don't necessarily stylistically pull from Tarantino, mm-hmm. that I can look at the way that he makes a movie and I can go, okay, that, so like, that's what he's doing here. How can I apply that and kind of turn that into something myself and turn sure. it into my own work? Um, and so I think that that's, you know, he's he's a really valuable filmmaker in that way, if, if that makes sense. Even the movies of his, like, I'm not a really big fan of The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would still, you know, there's still such a depth of stuff to study about that movie versus something like, you know, you know the latest Marvel movie or something like that. Like, there's... Right. there's there's, like you said, someone who really knows what they're doing and deeply cares about cinema is always going to, like, even their, you know, or even with Herzog, the Herzog movies that I maybe don't love, still, like, it's similarly to this, um, don't necessarily mean that I can't get anything out of them. Sure. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah, um, of course. But, th- and this is not one of those movies that I would say is like that. This is a movie that I think that I, I really do like. Yeah. Um, but but it is just sort of interesting that like even the directorial choices that he makes here that I don't necessarily agree with on like a stylistic level. Yeah. I still am fascinated with them. I'm yeah, still yeah. looking at them and, and going, okay, like what's he doing here? Well, you, do, I mean, that's the thing is like, look, you don't ever, and this is, I think this happened, right? This film came out, this combined with Reservoir Dogs, his posters are on every college dorm room I ever, you know, was went into. Yes, when still I, to this day. Yeah, and well, and I, that's interesting to know because I haven't been in a college dorm room in a really long time. But uh, I certainly know it was like you had Bob Marley and you had Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and that was like what people had on their wall when I was a kid. But um, yeah, I mean, and I think that's the trap that people have fallen into, though. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with they, people have been inspired by his work, but then they try to ape the specifics of you know of what make yes. him him and yeah and that's just never going to work you aren't him nobody's him you have to be your own person and you have to have your own authentic voice and that the irony is of course is that that's what he did you know he was uh, for, you know steadfastly his own filmmaker and it just yeah. so happened that there was a market for for who he is and what he made but but he didn't change himself to, to find some market he didn't you know uh, a lot of people argue that he steals a lot and he does but he definitely makes it his own um and, and no yeah question. and that's exactly what i mean is that so like you can't the... yeah it's good that you don't want to take all of his pieces of how he makes a film and make a film or you wouldn't want to do that with any other whether it's malik yeah. or kubrick or yeah. anybody else you know you want yeah. to be your own filmmaker um, i think that's what's important is is if i guess anyone is listening to this and they are starting out or they're a film school student or something like that like i know a lot of people who when they made short films, when they made movies, they like tried to emulate Tarantino's like writing style. Well, like, in the how beginning, does he write that's dialogue? normal. I don't think there's anything wrong with that in the beginning. No, to practice, no. Um, um, but I think that when you're when you're trying to, you'll grow out of it. 
Yeah, and when you're when well, if you're like you know, if you're if you're trying to make a a, a short film to kind of be like a in a way a a proof of concept for yourself as a director, write that you know sure write that Tarantino screenplay, you know take it and and, and try to emulate his dialogue, mm. but then do another draft where you you <laughs> say okay how am I gonna like what if I pull the Tarantino out of it it's a what process. am I left with because finding I think your, that that yeah I think at finding that your point, own voice is a pro and, you know yeah. fi finding your own voice is definitely a process and I always try to tell like. And it and it may change over time. Ideally, it will change as you grow as a person. But I want to like I think a lot of people they look at this is a, I think another reason why Tarantino is kind of an inspiration. It seems like Tarantino arrived fully formed, right? Yes, yeah. Because because he popped on the scene with Reservoir Dogs. It was a substantial film, you know. And and you know he wrote True Romance, which was also a successful and substantial film. He wrote Natural Born Killers, was which was still successful and and did have an impact. It's a controversial film. A lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. Think it's horrible. Of course, the script is radically different as Stone has rewritten it. But nonetheless, his Quentin's name's there. But you know, and then and then you know, for his sophomore slump, he didn't have a slump. He had a you know he created a masterpiece. So. But but one of the things that I think is interesting is that, you know, before he got to the place where he was selling scripts and before he got to a place where he had Reservoir Dogs, you know, uh, in listening to the, the, I think, the only commentary track he's done for any of his films, he did a commentary track for Two Romance, of course, which he only wrote, but he does a commentary track on that. And he talks about how he wrote at least 30 f f scripts before he was able to kind of find his voice and complete a full script that he was happy with and wanted to do something with. Mm -hmm. I started mm -hmm. writing, he says, when he was, you know, something like, I mean, ridiculously young. You know, I forget what he says there, but I mean, maybe even as far back as seven, he started writing. So it takes time, you know, and it wasn't like he just sat down and, and wrote a couple scripts and they became Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Sometimes yeah. it's easy to forget that. So it's a process you know i think if you write 30 scripts at your own at home you're going to start to find your voice even if you exactly, start out exactly yeah. kind of aping somebody else's keep writing you'll find your own voice um yeah yeah no and i, I think that that's that's a like very good point to make because yeah it's not um you know, nobody there's not really any such thing as like an overnight success in the way that there is um not really yeah even people who you know you might say someone who i i actually i don't think i've seen any of his movies but uh, this guy david f sandberg who was like a youtube short film guy oh, i have no and idea who that is warner yeah. brothers discovered one of his movies and he's oh. now directing like big blockbusters oh wow uh, literally just from being discovered on youtube huh. um which is really cool and he, he seems like a really nice guy i've just i've just not really seen many of his movies or yeah. any of them um but um you know, if you go to his YouTube channel, he was making movies for like 20 or 10 years. Like he yeah. was making short films for like 10 years before. Yeah. So you might say, oh, he was an overnight success in the way that he made one short film that got big and Warner Brothers wanted to make a feature out of it. But it was a lot sure. of work before that. But he had been making movies for how long, you yeah. know? Um, and I think that that's something that's really, really tough to play with. You know, there is something that I, I always tried to keep my myself from thinking was that like okay i'm gonna make a feature and then that's it i just kind of get to sit back and coast <laughs> on the on the fact that i made a feature um, right and you kind of have to like through the entire process whether it is you're making a feature or you're making a short film or you're writing a screenplay and, and whatever you kind of have to keep thinking like no 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 like this is not 
this is not the final step. I'm never on the final step. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, just a very long staircase. Um, it's just a process. Yeah. It's and just, so, it's... so like, well, as soon as I finished my movie, as soon as I, like, I like wrapped the, the final cut of it and sent it off to festivals, I didn't just sit back and go, okay, I'm done. I immediately started writing. writing three other movies. Yeah. Um, and was planning on what I wanted to do next. And I was going, okay, how am I going to market this movie? How am I going to simultaneously while I'm writing my next ones, how do I use this as a jumping off board to make those? And so I think that's the same thing is that like, and my, the next movie I'm writing is very different, but also still has, you know, I, I, I would say a more distilled version of my voice. And I think it's similar with Tarantino, like you said, that just There's because no his first two movies were big movies doesn't mean that he hadn't, you know, and you gone can see years if and you, years of, if of you struggling. read, like if you read his original script for Natural Born Killers, not uh-huh. not Stone's version, but if you read it, and you read True Romance script, and you you know if you read these back to back, and then you read Reservoir Dogs, and you read Pulp Fiction, you'll see that he is constantly refining his voice. You'll yep. see that yeah. there's these basic narrative threads, these basic character types, even like base kind of fundamental plot devices are the same. In, in piece or in whole, throughout all these films. And he keeps going back to the same place over and over, but he's refining, refining, refining. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think something else that's kind of inspiring about him is that um, both with writing and direction, he very clearly does not care to fit in. Yeah. Um and I think that that's something that also takes a lot of courage, that yeah. a lot of time when you're writing a screenplay or you're directing something, as a beginner, you're kind of thinking, okay, what I'm, I've got to make something that people want to see without kind of going, hang on, if I just make something true to myself, then I can just hope that what I am doing is something that people want to right. see. Well, um, and I think that that's something that's, that's, that's uh, you know, really really got to make something you know the language he uses and i would and other people have used it too and i and i i I tend to agree with this is that you've got to make a film that you want to see yes right i mean it has to be a film that you want to see and i know that you know there's a and a lot of i think it's it's one of the reasons that i enjoy him and um and i think that you know uh, sadly there's the market is now filled with films that are kind of focus group created so that's you know all the disney films primarily that that's and you know that's and there's so there aren't as many films i think uh that that are a kind of a singular vision um no no. of someone they're 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 very much the exception especially at this budget you know he's making hundred million dollar movies sometimes like django unchained for example is like a hundred million dollar film uh once upon a time i think was probably right around a hundred million dollar film i think or so so there, there, there just aren't that many filmmakers who ha- are able to make a, uh, a film that's their singular vision from beginning to end. It's his script. He writes it. He doesn't have to modify it to get budget. He shoots it, direct, you know, directs it. It's exactly what he wants, and he's got final cut, and boom, you know, and, and he, you know, it's like I props to Sony uh, with Once Upon a Time. I think China refused to release it. Of course, China is, a, is the largest market now. Yeah, and uh, and Quentin Tarantino was like, "No, I'm not changing this, mm-hmm. so that it can be released in China." I don't remember exactly how that sussed out. I don't know if it would, you know, if it was eventually able to be, but I know that he didn't, he didn't uh, change and his the, film. The unfortunate aspect about that is that it's it's you know you have to at this point, um, and perhaps this is something about just like the state of the film industry today. But you 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 have to be a Tarantino or a Spielberg or yeah, uh, you know. 
to any get a film made that has a has a <laughs> not only to get a film made but to get you know final cut rights and to get well even those other a... filmmakers i think quentin tarantino is even more unique than most of these other filmmakers because even some of these big filmmakers that you talk about they have trouble getting finance like scorsese yeah has yeah has trouble to go to getting netflix for the irish right yeah and, and um, it's, there aren't many filmmakers I can think of. And I think even Spielberg ha- doesn't necessarily have an ace in the hole for no, getting sure. a budget for a film. Um, and maybe one day we'll do, uh, you know, this might be a neat episode to actually just talk about kind of the state of, of yeah. the film industry today. Maybe we'll do that one day. But um, Well, I want to touch on something yeah. real quick. I want to go back to something because this is I'm curious about this. And you've mentioned this a couple of times. You said that you feel like Quentin Tarantino is is like a quote unquote phase that people go through and that almost every film student that at least you work with or that you've seen uh, latches on to Tarantino as a director, maybe first or in the beginning, or, or it's almost like, it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's like like a given. It's almost like a given. I'm curious. What do you think that is? Like why, you know, um, why do you think that he is so popular so immediately with, people who are interested in film and maybe want to make film, you know, I'm curious, I, what's your thoughts I, on that? I think, and, and, um, I think it's because it's one of those things where <coughs> these allergies are killing me. Oh right? my gosh. Um, I'm going to leave that, that in. We are your not ears, editing that listen. out. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the things is, is that you have these kids who are growing up, you know, elementary school, middle school, it's not really often that a parent is going to be like, we're going to go see the new R-rated Tarantino movie or we're going to rent the R-rated Tarantino movie. Maybe a little bit more common these days with Netflix where it's like you don't necessarily have control as to what right. a kid is watching. Um, but at least back in my day, back in my day, <laughs> uh, when it was Blockbuster <laughs> and stuff like that, and then you you didn't have that. Um, and you as well, I'm sure, would, would yep. agree. Um, the thing is that Tarantino is, he is a loud confident um unique filmmaker Mm -hmm. and i think that you turn 14 and this is this is again this is something that i saw happen to all of my friends not this is a bad thing by any means i'm not saying this is like this is the warning story of catching the tarantino um (laughs) but it's just something that i i've noticed happened to all my friends and i've noticed it happened to like most of the film students i teach Mm -hmm. you turn 14 and you see Pulp Fiction for the first time, or you see Kill Bill, or you see, um, you see, you know, Inglorious Bastards, and you go, "This is so," and I don't mean loud in a bad way. This is so, but it's loud. It's confident. It mm-hmm. is. It wears its its heart on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. And you go, "I can do that. I can do that with things that I love." And so you kind of go. And I remember in high school, we there was like when we were in a Comtech class. Um, we you know, one of the assignments was to make three different movies, and one of my friends was like, "Well, we have to make a Tarantino movie." It was like you have to make three different movies in, in three different yeah. genres, and it's like it's a, it's almost its own genre, like this idea yes. of Tarantino, yeah. this kind of like I described it as sort of like almost like a, a jukebox sense of like all these different genres or, or remix might be a better way to describe it of like yeah. taking all these things that Tarantino loves and putting them into one, and it's honestly he is one of the easier filmmakers to emulate the style of. Mm. Um, well, uh, superficially, maybe. Superficially, yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, it's very, you know, if I, if I, when I was in grade 10, I could, I could superficially emulate the style of Tarantino and most people 
who have seen a Tarantino film would be like, oh, I, you're I doing get it. Tarantino. I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. From the title cards. Yeah. The music that he uses, the, mm-hmm. the way that the camera moves, the energy, the performances, the dialogue. Yeah. Um, it's really something that's super, super accessible for, for a lot of like kids around that age, I think. And, you know, filmmakers around that age. Um, and so I think that it just winds up being this thing where, where it's like, well, I don't know quite what I want to write, so I'm going to write a really badass sword fight, but I'm going to make it super... St- like, I remember when I was applying to go to film school, um, you know, everyone's making these, like, very artsy, uh, like, black and white, oh, here's a, you know person sitting on a park bench who sees their old self pass by and <laughs> writes yeah, a letter yeah, and it's yeah. like you know all that kind of thing to to get in and i made this like you know crazy like kill bill styled samurai sword well, fight and i got into school i, I didn't I, get, I didn't wind up going but i like got into all the schools that i submitted that to and and i think it's just something that like it's so boisterous and it's it's really um it's just very stylistic stylistically uh accessible again i guess that's the word Maybe i can say it, is that it, it well and it obviously has an impact on people i you know my experience yeah. is a little different so i don't have a lot of exposure to to young film students um mm-hmm. the exposure that i had to film students was so for example at like ucla or afi especially afi so we're talking about graduate mm-hmm. students okay and afi is a pretty high level of graduate student mm-hmm. and the reason i had exposure to them is that uh through sag I was on AFI's like list of actors that students could like I was in an actor pool that students could pull from to make their films, their projects there as, as they were going through that conservatory. So I, I even was uh, attended some classes and was involved as an actor in in classes where directors would work with us. And then I've been in some AFI films. OK, um, and it's funny because it couldn't be the more opposite at that level. So I, I wonder, I almost have this hypothesis where it's like, you're a kid. I'm going to say you was kid, you know, broadly, but you're young. Early teenager, yeah. And and this like really jumps out at you. And and you're almost like you don't have any fear of of trying to like steal from it, right? So, you know, you, you're like, well, well, this jump, this is this was awesome. I, I felt something when I watched this. So I want to emulate that. I want to also yeah. do something that's kinetic and cinematic and vibrant. Um, and like you said, it's at least superficially, you can kind of point to the stylistic, uh, you know, the, what, what you feel like is making this quote unquote Quentin Tarantino, Quentin, sorry, Tarantino-esque. Quentin um, Tarantesque. But what I see, yeah, <laughs> but what I feel like I saw when these older film students is like these brooding, like, uh-huh. You know, I mean, this like very, very deeply per- like yeah, personal where it's like, ooh, yeah. this is super deep and I'm going to like really, you know, it's just going to be an introspective, deep character driven meditation on character yeah. and it'll yeah. be black and white. And I'm just going to ha- like you, <laughs> like I love your description of like there's a character sitting on a park bench watching like their older self <laughs> walk by or something i mean you know just like this this horse pucky man and i was involved in numerous scripts that were pretty similar to that where i was just like uh you know like there's just it's like this this such a desire to be deep and i was it, it almost feels like it was like like a rebellion against or like you know 
oh, okay, we I can't be kinetic and like you know in the way that Quentin does his films I've got to like rebel I've got to like move as far as I feel like I can from the hat and I'm going to be introspective and you know all this kind of stuff that we just described so I don't know that's kind of my exposure I wish that I would have gotten to be in a film where <laughs> a director at AFI wanted to make a Tarantino-esque film you know yeah I mean and I think and I think that that's you you kind of got it right on the Again, I don't want to say grow out of it sense because it's it's like I don't mean to sound like like Tarantino is only an entry level filmmaker, um, but rather that I think that people, it's because it's so accessible and because you know, for example, like if if something exciting happens, Tarantino pushes in on it, mm. and so as a new filmmaker, you can go, well, okay, I understand why he's pushing in there, mm-hmm. um, and and so, but I do think that you're right in saying that it's it's. It's something that people then take and then you kind of like with everything you make, you chip off that style a little bit more until it's it's you're at the core of what you want to make. Um, and Which of course, is definitely not that goes what I into, saw. I definitely didn't no, see that exactly, in these older but students. But sometimes it, it becomes something where people want to immediately, it's like one of those things where, you know, because it's popular, it can't be good. Yeah, I so feel people, like that. So people are yeah. really into Tarantino in high school, and, you know, a lot of people continue to be on into him in university, but then you've got those people who are like, well, no, 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 everyone likes him, so clearly I'm not i got to do something else, yeah. I've got to do something that's more, you know, <laughs> introspective. Um, deep, yeah, it's got to be and deep. And I think that that, you know, that always just winds up, I, I think, you're at that point just kind of faking another side of it. Um, yeah for sure yeah of course yeah yep i i have a i'm curious but it is interesting i mean i in not that we're going to solve the riddle or get to the heart of all of it here but it is interesting that that your experience is that younger film students that this is that and, and i could you know it makes sense in a sense i mean i could kind of see how for sure that you know tarantino's films are they're exciting they're filled with action um and, and so they could be appealing to a wider audience and maybe a younger audience. Um, it's a lot easier to watch this than, let's say, you know, if you're seven years old, this is an easier film to watch than 2001. Or especially like, you know, any, you know, Seven Samurai. I mean, God, you yeah. could, I mean, how many films are, you know, it'd be difficult to digest, difficult to understand. Yeah, um, yeah. So for sure, I could see how his films are definitely more readily accessible because I think he's taken, you know, so many pieces from genre films, exploitation films, action films, horror films, westerns. I mean, very popular genres and combined them all into this big melting pot, you know, and kind of thrown his own personality and, and, you know, uh, voice into it. So for sure, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, it's like, well, the thing I liked when I was 12, geez, I, I can't, I can't. I'm 22 and I'm at AFI. I can't make the thing that I loved when I was 12 because, yeah. boy, uh, what does that say about me? I, I, you know, so, so I think that sometimes happens. But I, I mean, so for me, I love all those genres of. I love exploitation films. I love, uh, you know, the spaghetti westerns and horror films and. You know, now my kind of base of references is like a generation later than Tarantino's. So a lot of the yeah. stuff that he loves and a lot of stuff that he references isn't necessarily. Some of it is. But just the idea, though. I mean, I feel like, you know, he's kind of the front end of Gen X. I'm kind of the back end of Gen, Gen X. I think we're still in the we're still in the same generation. There's not that many years apart. 
And I feel like we were kind of like, I was raised on television. I was raised on the radio. I was raised on VHS. I was raised on MTV. I was raised on pop culture. Um, I consumed just a ridiculous amount of it as a kid. And so I get a lot of that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I get a lot of what he's doing. It resonates with me. Do, do you, does that part resonate with you at all? Or is that different for your generation? Because I, I st- I, we're both Gen X, he and I, I think we're both Gen X. I know I am. I think he is. Yeah, he would be, yeah. And, and that part definitely resonates with me. I think it, yeah, no, it definitely, definitely it? resonates. I mean, yeah. I think that the, the thing is that I always try to say to um, like students of mine who are really into Tarantino is don't try and make a Tarantino movie. Look at the sources that Tarantino uses. Look at the mm-hmm. stuff that he loves. And if you want to make something like Or look like at a him, stu- something that you love even yeah, more. Yeah, or, or yeah, yeah, vice versa, yeah. Or or look at something that you like. Um, but like, I think that that's the thing is it's, it's you know, um, you're kind of when you when you tarantino samples a lot yeah um and i think that the the best way to analyze his work in a way is to like go back to the source of those samples sure um and so no but i but i and so i yeah i totally agree that like a lot of you know a lot of what i would do again when i like when i direct obviously i I like hitchcock i like malick i like kubrick um but i'm never sitting there asking myself okay like how like how would malik or how would kubrick direct this scene right or at least if i'm doing that if i'm asking myself that question it's more of an exercise yeah well i don't think um, quentin's and, doing that do you i don't think i think quentin is like do you think quentin is doing that no 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 and that, okay. but that's what i mean is that it's 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 but i think that that's the mistake that a yes, lot of younger yes. people make yeah because um, i think like because what i get a sense of and this is what i think speaks to me is that there's there's like an encoding, right? There's like yes, an in, there yeah. is there is a cultural encoding in these in the references that he's using. So so it's it it's like he is you know, he he is like adding to and using this <coughs> this history of the, this encoded this cultural encoding in all yeah. of these references on purpose with great specificity um whether it's with his songs or whether it's with a certain you know with the specific like explicit cultural references and dialogue or with the kind of implicit way that he might uh stage a scene in a similar manner or use a similar type of shot like for example or even just get a performance out of an actor or a performance out of an actor yeah. i mean it might be something as simple like using the zooms in django and it's it's a direct callback to the way Sergio Leone would use zooms in yeah. his films, and and a lot of people wouldn't recognize that in any kind of conscious way, but on a subconscious level, he's kind of incorporating the the cultural encoding and history, um, and bringing it into his films in a new context. So that resonates with me quite a bit. I think it's oh just, totally yeah yeah. I mean I think the way that I make something is that I, you know, I'll watch something that inspires me that I like a lot. Yeah. And you take it in, you, you, you know, you, you, for lack of a better term, you consume the, the, the yeah. material. Sure. Um, and then your brain sort of does something with it and, and breaks it down. It's kind of like mm-hmm. digests it well, and it breaks it down into its fundamentals. Right, it becomes and, a part and of you. And so then when I'm directing something or when I'm writing something or whatever, 
what I'm not doing is is going, oh, oh, you know, Kubrick shot that in a way, so I'm just going to take that shot. What I'm doing is like, okay, how did that shot make me feel mm-hmm. on a fundamental level, and how can I then use what I know to replicate that feeling, but in a way that I would do it? And I think that's that's what Tarantino does, is that he he repurposes those things, he digests them, and then he goes, well, that, you know, the way that these exploitation films used to make me feel was because they were really kinetic. But he's not using the kineticism literally from an exploitation film right. and going like, well, he moved the camera, like there's that really sweet shot. Obviously, there are some very specific shot references, but for the most part, it's, you know, okay, they the, the camera moves in this way that follows a character like this. How do I adapt that? How do I how do yeah. I digest that and understand this kineticism much more so like in a, in a more broad sense than like a specific like, well, I'm going to set up this shot and light it to be exactly like it was in this this yeah. other movie. I think some, a lot of it just happens. I mean, a lot of it is just that we, you know, everything that you consume as an artist becomes part of you. And especially the things that you consume, I think, when you were younger, that become kind of a foundational part of your personality. It's like I, and, and different people are different. You know, it's like uh, I feel very affected by the pop culture that I consumed. And I don't yes, say pop yeah. culture in a derogatory sense, but but television, film, and music that I consumed in my formative years had a huge impact on me. It, it informed a large part of who I am. And yeah. like I was talking to my wife about this. So my wife uh, had an interesting situation. Boy, we're like got digressing a little bit here, but what the heck? Why not? Um, my wife grew up in a stricter family where she did not have access to at kind of those, you know, six to 12, you know, or eight to 12, these like really pivotal years. Uh, she didn't have access to, to a lot of pop culture. She didn't watch television. She didn't really see cinema and she didn't listen to a lot of popular current music. And it's very interesting the difference that that kind of, you know, it's hard for her to kind of understand how important those things are to me because she doesn't have that same experience. Uh uh Um, And I I, I don't, you know, and and so it's different from person to person. Not everybody has that same experience. But I think that's one of the things that I feel very connected to Quentin about is that I, uh, I sense how important those things were to him in his childhood and how informative they were and formative. And I feel, you know, different sources for me, but I get that. Uh, so it's interesting to see him kind of turn that into something else as an adult. It'd be interesting to see it, uh, how he grows, you know, if, if this next film that he makes, whatever that is, is actually his final film. It'll be interesting to see what he does next. Um, yeah, yeah. If he writes or what he does. But I, there's something else I want to bring up because we're, we're getting a little over an hour here. I want to talk to you just about a couple of things real quick. Um, <clears throat> I'm curious, like, when this film came out, I remember very specifically how people were discussing critics and just, you know, the people on the street watching it were, were really blown away by the, the violence that they felt mm-hmm. like this. Felt, like they felt like it was just hyper violent, just over the top violent. Like, oh, my gosh, which I don't know that I thought about too much then. But thinking about it later, I'm really surprised about I'm surprised yeah, it's about way less violent than I remember. Well, and, and I, I'm curious. I want to add, you know, because it, it's like there were a lot of films now because the 80s was all about mega violence. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Rambo, you know, like Rambo, Die Hard. the second one and the third one, Die Hard. Um, you've got uh, the, all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies like Which are Commando, all much more violent and, than this. 
and, and yeah, I mean, where there's like literally hundreds of people being killed, like literally hundreds of people are being killed, just blown away, right? Just machine gunned down. Mm-hmm. What do you think? So, what do you, why do you think people saw this film and thought, wow, this is insane violence? And, and I think it, it's the, 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 a, I think it's one. It's 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 casual in this movie. It's more casual than it than it is in like an action film where. And tell it's me more about what you mean by that. Like when you say it's casual, um, so it's, kind it's of elaborate it's, on that. It's presented in it's and it's. Um, oh, I'm gonna sneeze again. But <coughs> you can't get those uh, those violent sneezes out of my head. So we're gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's 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 casual in a sense that it's presented not necessarily as violence was before it's not big and grand and blockbustery it's quite you know there's the joke you know marvin's head being blown off is like it's very like oh man it's like (laughs) dealt with in a way that's sort of more comedic i also think that but don't you not only is i feel like that would undercut it's interesting because i feel like there is almost i think it's just because it's different i think more so people didn't know how to react to it he I think the other thing too is that it's, it's it's violent in a way that um, people like. I think one of the reasons people might assume this is violent is because the way people talk to each other in the movie mm. is is violence quote or violent mm. quote unquote. Mm. There's a lot of like you know just yelling at each other and uh-huh. like telling someone to you know shut up and stuff. Be like cool, that. honey bunny. And, exactly. Yeah, and so I think that. Perhaps that's it. Like the op- the scene opens on them, you know, when they run out and rob the thing, and she's like, "I'll blast every one of you," and it's like, you get that kind of thing, which I think was, you know, which just is one different. of the best I think line deliveries. Just, yeah, and I I just think that people didn't really know what to think, and so, so I you think, think it's the novelty of how like, it was presented. You feel like heightened it in people's yes. minds yeah. yeah i i i you're on the i i agree with you in the same kind of vein i think you know it's interesting quentin tarantino undercuts almost every if not every scene of violence with humor i mean it i don't think yes. people yeah. talk often about how how humorous the film is yeah. but almost yeah. every scene if not every scene is totally undercut or or has either undercut by humor or it has humor around it and and really funny humor. Yes. And you'd yeah. think and you would think that that would de-emphasize or disarm some of the violence, but it didn't. Um but I mean whether it's like uh Mia Wallace getting the adrenaline shot right in the heart, I remember everybody just going on and on about that when this movie first came out. And you have like this totally hysterical button at the end of that scene where, you know, the the woman um with all the piercings is like yeah. groovy man yeah this is you know? that was trippy yeah yeah or trippy man yeah and and so um every scene is like that you know it's like you've got sam jackson with tim ross you know at the end with the tim ross got his gun in his face and he's like taking sam's wallet and and sam's like i need my wallet back and he's like well which one is it and he's like it's the one that says bad you know i won't say it here because we'll get a, an explicit but he's you know and that's freaking hysterical dude like who yeah. has a wallet that says bad mf or on it you know yeah like yeah. it's hysterical you know um every single scene of violence is like that like you talk about marvin's head getting blown off it's freaking funny yeah. To me, it's hysterical. Yeah. When I watch this movie, I laugh my butt off. 
When I saw yeah, this and I think movie, that that's, I think that that's kind of what I laughed my butt off, and so I and I guess maybe this is another way that I feel a kinship to Quentin Tarantino because you know I I've never equated cinema violence to real world violence ever. I don't yeah. like I do not equate those two things. As a matter of fact, I think that art is a healthy outlet for things like violence for us to explore them and and actually could potentially even lower the amount of real world violence uh that could exist if you have a healthy out like a healthy outlet for those kinds of things yeah yeah um but not to get too deep in that but i just i i I found it funny like the to me the violence is a setup for humor so i I never quite understood, like, and Kill Bill came out, you know, and it was like she, you know, kills whatever, 50 people in that scene. To me, it seems so humorous, you know. Well, I mean, there's that famous interview where he's on, like, I don't know what, some, some like, cable news network, and this, this the lady's interviewing about him, and she's like, it's grotesque. There's so much blood and violence. Yeah, you know, yeah. Why do you do that? Why do you have to make it so violent? And then he's like, because it's so much fun. And I agree. And I, I it's weird. I think it's weird. And I, we're not going to be able to break it down here. We'll have to wrap up soon. But I think it's there's something, this is an interesting thing where it's like Rambo can blow away a hundred like Vietnam, whatever it was in Rambo 2, God, I don't remember. You know, it's like Vietnamese, like just nameless, faceless, third world people, right, in the story. And nobody cares. But but somehow Quentin does it where like, you know, a a violent criminal is, you know, is murdered in a bathroom and it's, you know, and it's like Pop-Tarts, you know, it's even that has a funny button. Yeah. And people freak out over John Travolta getting shot, but it's like you can murder a hundred nameless, faceless, third world country, you know, people. Like, it's just, I don't know. We're not going to suss that out here, but there is an interesting, there's something weird going on there. Um, But but I feel like Quentin Tarantino's film uses violence in, in kind of the same way that Bugs Bunny uses violence. Yeah, it's like a, it's It's, it's vaudevillian. It's not... Yeah, I never get the sense that this is like real, even though it's intimate. Yeah. The violence is usually intimate, now not always, but anyway, it's just interesting. I, I mean, yeah. it, but it's something you felt as a young kid, though. You said you did de- the violence did it. It stood out to you, but you were seven, so I could see that for sure. I think, yeah. and I think it was I, more so than the violence, though. I think it was just the the tone. Yeah. It was much more of the tone than it was the the, the violence this itself. This kind of happenstance um, that you just yeah. felt like it's like, oh well, yeah, okay, this um, is just violence. This is the world we live in. Now clean off the brains. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. No, no I mean I, it's just my everyday life in my yeah. in suburb. Yeah. I um, mean, to, to me, the delivery and context was just hysterical. But but it, yeah, I guess to, I guess to um, just I one thing I do want to touch on quickly too is the the cinematography. Oh yeah, um, let, yeah, by, yeah. Uh, on Andrej. Uh, Sakula, I don't know. I might be mispronouncing that name. But, <laughs> yeah, um, that's so this was shot, yeah. his last film that he did with Tarantino right. before Tarantino went on to work. And with, he did uh, shoot Reservoir Dogs, by the way. So yeah. he sh- he did shoot these two films with Quentin, right? And I'm someone who I really like Robert Richardson. I think Robert Richardson does like JFK. I think it looks fantastic. And, yeah. and but I actually have got to say that this might be my favorite looking of all of Tarantino's like in terms Tell of Tell me more look, about that. Yeah, what do you I think that think? it's very it feels super lo-fi and I kind yeah, of like that. Yes. Um, you know, it almost feels like when when um when uh, Sam Jackson and uh 
uh, John Travolta are walking up to the house right at the beginning. Like they're walking through the, like to the apartment complex. Mm -hmm. It feels kind of like Miami Vice. Like it's like this weird kind of like lo-fi 80s. Well, it's, cool it's kind almost. of flat. It's kind yeah, of beige. Yeah, it's, it's not like super saturated. It's, it's, and the, the light is also really, really stark when they're yeah. talking in that, um, you know, the Tim Roth scene right at the beginning. Yeah. The, the light on half of their face is like completely blown out and yeah. it's stark and it's it's like really kind of high it's, contrast but you can really see rich. it's natural it's really light rich. you can see yeah. it's there's, there's i mean it's natural light and it but it it also it speaks to the um the the budget of the film i think to a great extent you, yeah you know, you're always in interiors there's almost never anything uh any kind of scope we're always we're in a car and yeah. it's fun. And it's fun how Quentin uses uh, rear projection or you know process yes. shots, yeah, yeah, very yeah. Uh, very obvious process shots uh, in the cars. Um, but you but everything is very lo-fi, low budget, which I think stands out more to me now than it ever did before. Yeah, and I I just really like. I think the movie yeah. just looks really really. I like I you know I like I like when uh, cinematographers don't have a lot to work with. I think it's kind of it makes them a little bit brilliant in a way where well, it works great for the film right i mean it works yeah, great for the subject matter i find it when someone has like a, you know a hundred lights that they can set up anywhere it kind of um bores me a little bit honestly because it's like you can do anything with it yeah um and i do i i, I do not do we want to get really really briefly perhaps just to, to finish off on the the um the deacons uh tarantino kind of little mini debate they yeah had let's about Look, yeah. we can talk about that. I, I do want to briefly touch on just music and cast real fast. I mean, it, yeah. I, we're, we're already long, but I just, I, I, I feel remiss if we didn't touch on those, and then yeah. let's go to yeah. that. I mean, obviously, a lot was made about bringing John Travolta back and the cast. Yeah, this is, yeah he was this kind is, of, he was really in a slump there. It was a brilliant casting. I mean, it was a brilliant move. I don't know if this was like, you know, a conscious choice, but I mean, you know, apparently Quentin really stuck to his guns. He was like, look, you know, at this point, he's talking to uh, Miramax. Um, he's like, if you, if if Travolta can't be in the lead, then you're not the person to make this film. So yeah. a pretty yeah. a pretty bold move, but it was you know it ended up being a great for the story, and it ended up yeah. being really fantastic for the marketing of the film because it's, I mean, imagine all the like logistic ways that this is great. I mean, he gets uh, an actor, although in a current slump brings with Name him a huge audience right yeah. brings with him a huge recognition but you don't have to pay him a lot i mean it was yeah. a really brilliant piece of of casting and uh and 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 he, it was a really fantastic fit but of course sam jackson is in what almost all of quentin's movies yeah uh sam jackson is just amazing he's a really standout performance but it's just so many of these performances are fantastic. I mean, you talked about in the beginning, you know, Amanda Plummer with Tim Roth. Yeah. I mean, Ving Rhames, Eric Stoltz, you know, even these smaller roles like Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Walken. And, you know, apparently Bruce Willis was, you know, worked for scale on this to be in the scene that is your least favorite. But hey, I mean, to get Bruce Willis at this Some era credit. in your yeah. film. Yeah. I, you know, combination of, of, of amazing marketing and, just i mean now you'd be hard pressed to imagine any of these people in you know a different actor in any of these roles it's just yeah he gets harvey keitel back of course harvey keitel yeah, that's, that's was, one of my favorite i love harvey keitel was and he was fantastic. instrumental of course in getting reservoir dogs made yeah. right he yeah. he was attached and was a, in lockdown helped lockdown financing from the get-go um you know uma thurman uh and then of course 
goes on to do Kill Bill 1 and 2 with her. Yep. It's just, you know, and, and Quentin clearly uh, gets great performances over and, and over seem to, and Yeah, over. they all, like, you You can really feel that, and, you know, both you and I have acting experience. You can, you just know when someone is just, like, playing up and, like, having so much fun. Yeah, with, you can with sense they, and you the can, joy. You can just, and there's nothing better than when you are acting and someone just, like, a director just allows you to just go far with something and just is like, hey, give me, give me like the most ridiculous, you know, the re- most ridiculously high energy take you can. And then you kind of bring that back, but you still retain that just kind of like feeling of like passion and energy for the, for the moment. And, um, you know, you can really, you just, that kind of oozes off the screen in this. I, things I've heard, obviously I've never worked with Quentin, would love to, but, you know, things I've heard, a couple things I think really lends itself to pr- great performances. One, Quentin, his encyclopedic uh, knowledge of film is integral on the front end to casting. I think he he has a good intuition about casting people. But I think also, you know, his enthusiasm and passion for cinema in general on set seems to be really contagious. I mean, a lot of people talk about how Quentin's sets are are really, they feel like family, that it's some of the the most fun sets that people have ever worked on, whether it's crew yeah. or cast. You get a lot of feedback from people who've worked with Quentin that he loves doing what he's doing so much. Um, and he's given, he happens to be in a position where he's got quite a bit of free reign to do exactly what he wants. People so really want to work There's with not him, a lot yeah, of yeah. friction there, right? So yeah. the people who are on his sets want to be there. He wants them there. And it, it sounds to me from what I've heard just peripherally that it, that they're just fantastic, fantastic sets. Mm-hmm. that's got to contribute, you know, pretty substantially to these consistently amazing uh, performances for sure. Um, yeah. And then last thing I just want to touch base on, it's because you could do a whole podcast about each one of these things, but music, you know, there there isn't any original score for the film, of course. It's mm-hmm. been talked about a million times over. That Quentin does the same thing with music as he does with his cinema references, you know, uh, and you listen to it, and it's really extraordinarily effective. It's like, what more could be said? You know, it's like people have talked about it forever, but I, you know, it's, um, I was even surprised, you know, when I popped this in and I watched it again for this, mm-hmm. just in the beginning, how the music just hits you over the head, how we've got that, you know, that, what is it, the Dick Dale surfer music stuff yep. comes yeah, on. That, then the Black Eyed Peas. And then, well, same. it's, uh, <laughs> well, not Black Eyed Peas, it's uh, uh, Jungle Boogie comes on, like, right after that, but it's yeah, just, it yeah, hits yeah. you with this. But I just mean that the Black Eyed Peas sampled the, the Dick uh, Dale oh, stuff for that. The, oh, the, yeah, yeah. Song, uh, yeah. Boy, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Black Eyed Peas, Me neither, but... but <laughs> Um, but I mean, it's just this one, two punch of like auditory, just, you know, energy that just, what? Yeah. and it's like, wow, you know, this is going to be epic and this is going to be loud and it's energetic and it's amazing usage of music to kind of set you up for 15 minutes of what's the next 15 minutes are just talking, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but really continuing what he did with Reservoir Dogs into Pulp Fiction and he's done pretty much every film since. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. okay. So let's jump into this thing that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's really, really we wrap like up. a yeah. last kind of point. Um, so there was this, this spat recently. They call it a spat. Was so it really? Basically, yeah, it was like they were responding kind of to each other. Um, were they? So, so as you know, some people listening may or may not know, Roger Deakins, um, cinematographer, won the Oscar twice pretty recently. Um, he is, I would say 
probably the most popular cinematographer working like everyone I talk to. Yeah, Deacons is that's kind also of, a DP. Yeah. They all love the I I I'm kind of indifferent. <laughs> no offense, Deacons. I think he's a great cinematographer, but not mm-hmm. not my style. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about how much he doesn't like shooting on film, um, and how you know he gets you know he just doesn't like the the work that is required to kind of like see your image that right. like with digital you can you can see the dailies. Deacons also this is something really something that but this is context but not something that came up in the debate. But Deacons also is someone who famously has said he doesn't do much with the digital negative that mm-hmm. he he likes to do what he does on set with lights and doesn't really touch like he like obviously he you know there's color correction going on but right doesn't really like to do much with like the digital negative and by way of like you know adding things or changing things with the actual negative um yeah Tarantino, obviously, on the other hand, famous for saying that, like, the only way to shoot a movie is on film and that, like, cinema is 24 frames a second celluloid running through yep. a camera and being projected on film and all that. Right. And of course, he has the new Beverly in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I think both of us, I I, I, I land somewhere sort of in the middle. Um, yeah. Whereas I think that, obviously, the advent of digital was incredibly liberalizing, li- liberating for, for <laughs> you know, liberalizing. Um, I like Liberating that. For, for cinema and for yeah. making people, like, I wouldn't have been able to shoot my movie on film. But what I did was that I, you know, on the opposite end of um, someone like Deacons and much more in the style of a cinematographer who I really like, Steve Yedlin, um, you know, you, I think that it's a waste of time to not do anything with your negative. I think that to to not take advantage of every tool you have and to go into post and go, okay, I'm going to craft the look of this. I crafted the look of my feature before I even made it. I did extensive camera tests and got, you know, the color and the light and Mm -hmm. the halation and all this stuff exactly the way I wanted it. So that when we were shooting, I saw in the, this, you know, the image exactly what it was. And I think it's partially, again, this is a very controversial opinion, but I think that's partially the reason that Deacons doesn't really stick out to me as someone that I, go to for inspiration a lot um Hmm. i find that his images just kind of lack texture Hmm. and that he does he doesn't do a lot with with them um whereas he's a really he's great at lighting and stuff like that um and but then tarantino responded and basically called deacons lazy and said like (laughs) you know he doesn't like to shoot on film because because he he just doesn't like to wait and it's more work and blah 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 um, and so, like, yeah, I think that, you know, I like the look of celluloid images. I, like, I like the look of film. Do I think that that's something at this point that you necessarily, you know, that an audience can pick out whether something is, like, really well-emulated digital photography that has yeah. been, you know, used to, to emulate film versus real film? I don't think that a, a you know, well, casual audience is going to notice the difference. However, I will say that I, I do... The, the visual aesthetics of film that are lost on digital are something that Deacons doesn't really make an effort to gain back, which I think are, um, I think they're just things, you know, opinion-based that look good. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I could say, you know, I think, look, I can't speak for Quentin Tarantino. We know that where he stands on film, and I think that's that's fine. I mean, it's, it's I think for, for Quentin Tarantino, this is a very personal thing, and it's like, yeah, if yeah. you're a painter, you're going to have a certain paintbrush type that you're going to gravitate toward you know it, it, it for him yeah. it's a it's and i i get it right is this is like the most personal thing he does is make movies and the tools that he uses to do that are are necessarily they're going to be personal and i i love that look if it didn't yeah. matter to yeah. him 
I would be really questioning that. I'd be like, it doesn't matter to you? Like, you don't care what your canvas is? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I I think that's wonderful. Um, and then it's also f- totally fine if somebody else wants to, sh- you know, thinks digital is the best thing since sliced bread. More power to you. Go for it. Yeah. Um, there's room yeah. for both. I, you know, I personally uh, like the look of film better. Um, but but I realized that that's likely because that's what I grew up seeing. OK, it's this isn't a logical thing. This is a like art is often not logical. This is a personal yeah. subjective thing. I like the look of film better. And and um, but but for me personally, it's not practical to shoot on film. I'm going to shoot digitally, of course, because it's more important for me to make a film on anything than it is for me to like only make a f- make a picture on film like that yeah. of course i'm going to well, use that's you know the important part right like, who is cares? that it's, it's it's subjective um when i say that i find that deacon's image lacks texture that's it's something just, that a lot of people like yeah subjective you know a lot of people like that ultra crisp you know yeah. smooth digital look and and that's that's totally fine i'm not saying that you know deacon's is a i would never ever say that deacon's is a bad cinematographer because i don't i don't believe that um but to me um i like an image with texture i like an image that you know and so if i'm shooting digitally i will add that texture yeah i will I, add the like i'll add a little bit of gate weave because i find that it just i like the organic look where it feels like you can just feel um it's hard to describe but there's just like a subconscious feeling where you mm-hmm. can just there's an element to which yeah. it's so textured and visceral and organic and lifelike sure. that um you know if i'm gonna shoot something and not i've also shot things that i don't use film emulation on um i've done short films that i that i've been like i don't i don't want that um and i've dp'd things that i've uh not i've it just doesn't fit depends on obviously the subject matter um and so i think that that's kind of why i say i like i land somewhere in the middle Um, yeah i I, if i I had my druthers yeah yeah, if if i had my druthers i would shoot with film for sure yes but the bigger reason than how it looks is i think what the workflow is Yep, and I think yeah. Quentin is speaking to some of this, which is that, you know, I, I look again, I, I'm guessing we're, we're guessing here. But my guess is that Quentin Tarantino likes the workflow of film because it's a it's a slower moving set. Mm-hmm. It instills a discipline. It's it, well, it, it, it does that, too. It, but you're you're spending half a day, maybe hours to light a scene. So you're, you know, it, there's a lot of attention paid. You have to be more specific with your lighting with film. Yeah, and then, of yeah. course, when you're shooting film, now, I don't know if, you know, look, Quentin could shoot all the film in the world that he wanted to. So, but there, but I think every, I think it still does affect people. They're, they know that money is running through the camera. They uh-huh. know that, you know, it, it's, it, and and this means something. So there's well, like a certain heard, amount of focus. Uh, that if you've is, ever been on a set or shot with film or anything like that or heard a film camera roll, it's a distinct noise to digital. It's different. Digital, you could be rolling, you wouldn't know. But on when you're shooting something on film, um, you can hear it. You can, you know, and film cameras are designed to be as quiet as possible, but you can still, there is this this hum and you can you can feel the, 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 film moving through the gate and and you know okay we're rolling yeah you know we are we are literally rolling yeah from where it comes from so there's there's a history there that you're kind of calling back to it makes perfect sense that that tarantino who was inspired by film so much 
would only want to shoot on film. It makes perfect sense. If you grew up yeah. listening to records, to vinyl records, you may have an affinity for vinyl records over things that technically sound better, right? Mm -hmm. But but it's not about that. It's about a subjective tactile. So I get it, you know. Um, and there are ter there are also movies that I've seen that I that are crisp and digital that I I really like the looks of as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I, I thought Parasite looked really good, and that's there's that's that's a very digital looking movie. Yeah, so so I think it's you know so I'm happy that it all exists. I'm I'm happy yeah. there are people out there like Quentin Tarantino who kind of keep film alive, um, and and I'm really happy for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I but yeah, I'm not dogmatic about anything. No, no, no but no. Uh, but yeah, well, oh my gosh, I, you know what? Hey, this may be. I'm not. I'm not quite our, sure, yeah. but this may be the longest episode we have ever. I think it done is our longest. Yeah, I don't. Think at an hour and a way. half. Wow. And I think we also broke the record for most sneezes. Yep. On... Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm debating. Should I leave them in? Well, we'll find out. But all I mean, right, it should well, be I... easy to find in the. Uh, <laughs> it that, should be easy spikes. to find. It'll yeah. be the big spikes. Well, anyway, we could go on and on. But uh, but uh, we should probably draw this to a close now. There's so many things yeah. we could talk about, but I've really enjoyed it, Colin. And um, it's interesting to hear, you know, some of your views uh, being 20 years removed from me and kind of what your impression of this film is and your experience with it. That's really fun for me. It's sometimes it's kind of like getting to see it through somebody else's eyes, which is quite fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I've had a blast. I enjoyed it. I look forward to what your pick is going to be for next time around. So yeah exciting all right well everybody i we hope you enjoyed it too uh and uh hopefully you've made it this far boy if you have you're a trooper <laughs> but yeah. hey until next time everybody have a wonderful couple weeks and we'll see you later bye 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 bye